getting antsy about retro. All this and more on This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. It came from the 80s. What a disaster. Building a C64 100% from new parts. All this and more coming up on today's show. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Morning. <laughs> Morning, chaps. Right, determined to keep this show to an hour this week because you guys did yes. it so well the week I was away. Can't and then done. the week I came back, we just <laughs> overshot massively. So this is on me. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to pick up a few things that were on the subreddit this week that we, we can't really talk about as full stories, but there were some good entries this week. So thank you to everyone who's contributed over at reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro, including senior by 445, who asked the question have you ever had people inadvertently make you feel old by not knowing about retro tech mm. um and uh, it's something that i do come across quite a lot with the visitors in the cave particularly the kids the younger ones who come along and um on the whole they're not bad when it comes to old te tech um they tend to pick up and play things instinctively i mean a good game is a good game that's made to be you know, instinctively played and quickly understood. And and a lot of them do hold up well. Many of them don't, but the ones we tend to put on to play do hold up well. Um, the thing that does stump them tends to be the use of a mouse. Now, you know, this would have stumped Scotty some kids back in the day. Uh, yes. <laughs> Hello, How do you done this thing on? <laughs> um but but you know if you were a console owning kid back in the day you you perhaps wouldn't have used a mouse much but you you, you would have had a better idea i guess of what it is without the influence of touch screens and tablets um, perhaps being your primary device as it is in the modern day um, but i guess the one thing that does make me feel a little bit old is not recognizing media that was so prevalent in our in our youth so the cassette tape i'm talking about and just kids who are astounded at what what is this thing and how how is a game on this thing you know that that's the mm. question that mm. makes me feel old i still ask that um, question <laughs> yeah, yeah how about you guys have you have you been made to feel old by the youth lately i think i tune it out now um there's a lot of things that that pass me by from people that are maybe five or ten years older um, there's there's a there's a short period in your life where you you seem to imprint on loads of things and that's the things you like forever, and I missed out on things like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Pokemon and so on. They all came just a little bit after me, so I don't really remember them. But these right. days, I just let it breeze past. Um, it's Peng. Um, <laughs> it's Peng. <laughs> yes, <laughs> down with the YouTube. Poggers. Yes, you. Yeah, it's Poggers. <laughs> I, I just yeet it out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah okay chris how about you do you nah. uh, feel as old as you look <laughs> yeah thanks for that no nah, because my kids are <laughs> in their 20s as well i don't really come across it uh much at all but the, i remember the first time i did feel old and it was actually quite a while ago because it was in a blockbusters believe it or not early 2000s asked them if they had cannonball run and the young guy who didn't look old enough to hold down a job um just looked at me like i was from another planet and then <laughs> i explained what it was and he goes oh that sounds quite old and that's the first time age hit me and yeah like yeah I said, that was early 2000s so hmm. i've had a thought i've had a thought we're maybe a, a bit lucky in that we saw technology being introduced and broadly understood it and mm. now when you grow up when you're 
20 years younger than us or, or even younger, technology comes in, you have no hope of understanding what it is. Um, so yeah, I we guess understand we've, we've, magnetic we've seen media the... and how that worked and so on, and that's why we understand what a tape is, is just a cut-up form of magnetic media. Hmm. Yeah, so we've seen that whole process iteratively mm. evolve over the years um, to, to where we are today. I guess, yeah, that's a good argument. And also Chris has has the um, the luxury of children, so he's grown up, well, not grown up, he's had a lot of youth around him over the last 20 years to, to keep him um, peng, was it, Dave? Keep him peng. Peng. Pogus, peng, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so it was an interesting question, and, and um, feel free to contribute um, answers and comment on that post on the subreddit, what makes you feel old. Uh, Chris, how's your week been? Very good, because something arrived in the post I've been waiting for. It's not technology-related, but it is retro. Spaceship. And oh, if you've ever go. watched the Lego movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But it's basically the reissue, well, a, a redesign of one of the old classic space Lego ships. Um, ordered it from Lego Australia and it finally arrived this week. So I'm sort of getting into building that. I've only gone through the first bag because they separate everything into numbered bags these days, but it's fantastic having that experience again. Yep. Chris, I know you you like to collect quite a bit of Lego. When I was a kid and I had my Lego, because um, mm. I haven't, I haven't had much Lego in my um, in my adult life, uh, but I, d- I did get some two Christmases ago. It was like a Parisian street scene of oh, Lego yeah. with the Eiffel Tower, and I, I just forgot how much I enjoyed sitting down and building Lego. It's very therapeutic. It's, you know, yeah. I'm not really into jigsaw puzzles, but I kind of I kind of get it because Lego. I, I think you just get so immersed in the in the build as you would with the jigsaw puzzle. It's the same kind of thing, isn't it? Um, yeah. But as a kid, I would build something, I would deconstruct it, and I would just have a massive tub of Lego that everything got thrown in. I didn't, I didn't keep stuff as kits. What do you do with the, with that spaceship build, for example? What do you do when you've built it? What do you oh, do with no, it? you've touched on something really cool here. Well, and just a slight correction: I'm not actually, I haven't gone down the rabbit hole of collecting Lego. This is the first one recently that oh, I've okay. bought, but I had a heap back in the day, mostly space Lego, some medieval castle Lego. Um, and that's exactly what we did. Everything went into a big communal box, and I think that's how it should be. You build the model, not so much as an adult builder and collector. Let's face it, it's a different hobby if you get into it at this stage in life. But as kids, I, I hate the idea of just these things being built once, put on a shelf, possibly not even played with for, for fear of them falling apart, and definitely never deconstructed and put in a communal box. No, it should definitely be put in a communal box and shared. Yeah, um, and, and look, if, you have if it I was in a communal box, that's when you. That's when you have the ability to do something creative. Yeah, from absolutely. Answer me this: if if you call, if you save the instructions that come with it, mm. and you put everything in a communal box, is it yeah. realistic to say that you could take the instructions and find all the individual pieces oh, and build it exactly like it was? Yeah, yeah. I used to do that all the okay. time back in the day. And even if you knew you had the pieces, you could you could to a point construct sets that you hadn't even paid for. You know, um, mm. sometimes there was some slight compromises. But the, the ship that this is based on. Um, the original back in the day. I never had the original of this. I always wanted it, could never afford it, was never gifted it. Um, but I would make as close as I could an approximation out of the bits that I had, and I remember doing that. Um, so, yeah, that's it's how it should be. If I was running a YouTube channel that was in it for the clicks, one of the things I would love to do is build this on a video and then just smash it up and put it in an existing communal box of Lego. I think that would be <laughs> hilarious, and it would upset quite a lot of collectors. But, oh. yeah, that's what Lego's for. Come on. 
Or, or time-lapsed Lego building. building. That must exist. Brick by brick, frame by frame, just build your model and stick that on YouTube with some soothing music. I think oh, there's would love lots that. of people have done it. Like, yeah, lots uh, of people okay. have done I, it. I, I, I was guessing them. I wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't be the yeah. first to have thought of that. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think they smashed um, them up and put them all in a big box. <laughs> that would just make me laugh my head off. <laughs> so, Dave, it's time for... There is a little correction in on the Atari story about the demise of the VCS, and I give the floor to Chris now to explain himself. <laughs> Look, um, in all honesty, it was a very carefully worded sentence, and I inserted the word seemingly. And in fact, it wasn't the story, let's remind ourselves, was not about Atari stopping production of the VCS. It was about the new consoles that they were being done under licensing by My Arcade. That's what the story was about. It was just a way to introduce the story to, you know, provoke thoughts on where is Atari going. Um, and the reason why, and I knew I dropped in, and I knew I dropped in an ambiguous um, term there, and I used the term seemingly that Atari were dropping the production of the VCS because it is up in the air. There's so many bits of information out there and a lot of it is conjuncture. Um, so I think every time we cover a story, we should err on the side of caution in case we're wrong. Um, and look, the, 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 the kind of feeling is that, yes, Atari have kind of halted production because they've stopped an existing um, contract, uh, but that they are possibly looking to form a new contract with a, a, a new manufacturer. So... You know, yeah. Have a look in. Have a look on the YouTube video. There's a great comment there by one of the commenters who gives a lot more detail. He runs a YouTube channel, I believe, about Atari. Um, loves all that kind of stuff. So go there. Um, and again, there's plenty of other videos out there on the topic. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll let you off. Uh, Duncan's got some <laughs> info in. Duncan's been looking at some figures. He says 72% of our viewers are subscribed. This is great, but, uh, but you are a regular viewer. Why not click that subscribe button? It would really help us out. And he says only 13% of you have switched on all notifications. If you want to get a reminder every time a new episode is ready, then make sure you enable all notifications. And on the same uh, thing with that, it helps us more than anything if you if you give us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Let people know that you enjoy this show on your Saturday morning. And Dave, um, how do you enable all notifications on YouTube? You smash, you smash <laughs> that bell. Smash that bell. <laughs> Sponsored by Raid Shadow Legends. <laughs> <laughs> can we do some some flashy jump cuts now <laughs> oh, right, no. that's a good way to cut away into our first story i think <laughs> <laughs> our first story this week then was submitted by uh ams ams cpc 464 alan is that you um i think this is your first time perhaps contributing to the subreddit so thank you for submitting this story and um the story is brilliant news for ant heads because a remake has been announced for cinemaware's 1989 game it came from the desert this new game is called it returned to the desert and it's got a steam listing page with a release date of the 15th of february and uh, you can actually catch videos of the game in action on that page there's some preview videos and screenshots as you would expect on a steam page 
Now, the trailer includes turn-based combat with giant ants. Uh, I think this part of the trailer probably interests me the most, um, although it all looks pretty interesting, but the turn-based combat, very reminiscent of um, Laser Squad, Squad or Rebel Star behind it. That's my first impression. I haven't actually played that part of the game to know if it's uh, any good. Um, exploring the town. There is what looks like a fighter jet sequence, Chris, bombing targets. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> bombing ants, um, I'd go for that. <laughs> reminiscent, I guess, of the um, the wings overhead sequence, because in the game's wing, mm. the wings from Cinema Way, you had FPS, well, flight sim from a first-person perspective, but you also had third-person bombing yeah. runs and things. So it's a little bit of that flavor Straight in there. Thing. Yeah. Um, and, of course, it tries to mimic the presentation style from those CinemaWare games. Not only it came from the desert, but just the highly polished movie-like way that they delivered games back in the day. The game is by Tim Rakor. I think that's how you say his surname. He's an indie developer. I don't think he has any connection whatsoever to the original CinemaWare team, but um, correct me if I'm wrong, Tim, but I don't, I don't think you do. Um, and he's got eight other games to his name on Steam dating back to 2016, including Brainbait, Party Host 85 and World Peace Simulator 2019. Um, not games I've played, I must admit. Now, I should declare that this isn't the first I've heard of the game because Tim reached out to me some months back and offered me a preview release of the work in progress, and I did take it for a spin. What I saw of it did a really good job of capturing the feel of the original, but it was quite limited in what I could do in the game at the time. It was a very early look at it. But I definitely made a mental note to come back and try it when it was complete. So I, I am pleased to see that charging towards a February release date. It's hard to pass too much comment on the game that we can't yet play, guys. So let's just have some th thoughts on what you can see about it. But maybe also thoughts on CinemaWare games in general, starting with Dave. So I played It Came From The Desert in DOS. And I don't think you can overstate how iconic that huge big ant's head is <laughs> in the game um it really it, it's 50s uh b-movie sci-fi type thing it, it's so so well done that there yeah. um I, I played defender of the crown on my st which funny enough was actually better than the amiga version of defender of the crown because once they got the conference on how well the Amiga version did, they did a bit more in the ST version. But I think the is it CD32 version? Is that the version to play? Uh, probably. Probably much better than the ST version. Is that the right There's one? There's a CDTV version. Um, CDTV, is it? Okay. And yeah. CD, yeah, maybe CD32. I think they just called it Defender of the Crown 2, but it's a very similar right. game. Maybe, maybe I'm just speculating here because I haven't played it, but maybe incorporating those enhancements you're talking about is that what mm -hmm. happened mm -hmm. yeah because i think it yeah. was an amiga game to start off with uh, yeah and they, they did well with it but um this version has turn-based combat which i love i love turn-based combat but i don't remember turn-based combat in the original no. game am i right i i don't remember it personally in there no i remember action sequences mm. but i think you were running away from stuff um so hopefully this is giant alliance with ants um, in fact, you, I get, do remember, you do get ants and dragon eyes. I do remember the, the, the hand with the pistol coming up and you'd move the pistol That's around what I was the thinking. to shoot the ant in the head. That's not yeah. turn-based, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But I, I loved their dedication in making cinematic games. That, that really made games better, trying to do that with it. On the um, DOS version, was it VGA or were you still in um, CGA or EGA? VGA. Fairly sure VGA, VGA. Was it? Mm. Yeah. Possibly EGA. Um, but, but 
it certainly wasn't CG. And did it have Sound Blaster support? Because the whole the whole experience I had on the Amiga was that very cinematic experience with lovely mm. audio, lovely graphics. Did it? Did did you get the good audio as well in the on the PC? I'm not Dave's sure. Typing. It's a long time. <laughs> typing it in though. Did it? Did it sound like this, Dave? Let's beep, let's come back to beep. that. <laughs> if let's not. come back to that. Well, Chris, you tell us about your Cinemaware memories. Yeah, I, I I was very familiar with it came from the desert, but I didn't actually play it. I know one of my friends up the road had it, and he had quite a few Cinemaware games. So that's where most of my experience comes from. And they were just always quality games. They they made cutscenes and storyline led gameplay actually worth it. And it, and that's kind of ironic because in modern gaming, what I really hate is a game that's hindered by cutscenes and story-led gameplay. It can really mess it up. It can mess up the flow of the interaction, but they always did it really well, partially because they didn't really have, you know, the technology wouldn't allow them to have a heap of full-motion video halfway through an action sequence, sure. you know what I mean? So it had to be interactive. But the pixel art was always stunning in every, in every single game that they did. One to spring to mind, Wings, definitely, as you've already mentioned, Rocket Ranger, which I didn't pay, uh, I didn't play that much. It was borrowed from my made up the road Lee, um, but that was an interesting game, uh, quite different from most other things. And also, I always, one I, I always struggled with um, Rocket Ranger. With the, the took me ages to master the takeoff sequence yeah. where he's running sideways, and you've just got to hit the <laughs> yeah. button at the right time as he jumps and bends his knees to launch himself. Otherwise, he just falls over and rockets himself with his jetpack straight into the floor. That's right. <laughs> uh, like, I swear, you know, you'd have a two-hour session, and you might take off like two or three times and get to the next level you wouldn't get any further than taking off do you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> so that was it and, and the, the other one and i had no idea why this sticks in my memory but it has to the point of when i had the chance of recollecting it locally i bought it keeping it again this is my mate lee owned it i didn't own it so I, it's not a game i'd usually buy because i didn't own it back in the day but lords of the rising sun um so yeah, a really yeah. nice strategy game um and yeah again fantastic pixel art nice you know, um, strategy combat. Yeah, really cool. I can tell you why I remember that one so vividly, Lords of the Rising Sun, is because it was on the WH Smith loop of videos of games that they had on uh, the TV in the corner when you were in the shop looking on the shelves, yeah. which is something I've tried to replicate in my, um, my my fake video game shop. But Lords of the Rising Sun, there were some weird games they used to have on the loop. Um, Joan of Arc, there was a Joan of Arc game that was always... <laughs> on a loop in wh smiths for some reason and i've still to this day i've never played that game um yeah dave have you have you done your research yes yes i've done my research and um it was vga uh, so i did okay. remember that correct and it looks to be adlib or sound blaster music um, yeah. okay which i think is fine for that kind of era of kind of orchestra music backing to a game mm. but yeah. i had a quick listen and the amiga version sounds a little bit better so maybe that's the place to play it on the amiga there we go but maybe played off against uh the speed of the pc if it's hard drive installable because uh, i always mm. used to play these on yeah, floppy disks but there we go um yeah defender of, a Cr of the crown as dave raised was was one of their earliest ones with that lovely jim Sachs artwork in there um for me it's it was a little bit early for me to remember the Amiga 1000 when it came out, but from from the research I've done over the years, it seems like Defender of the Crown was one of the games that really put the Amiga 1000 or the Amiga on the map as a games machine. Um, it really showed what it could do in, in its multimedia aspect. They must have been they must have been really 
sharp to pick up that the Amiga could do games like this mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. brave to go and do it on a platform that really the Amiga had no grounding in games at that point. So they mm-hmm. were very brave and, and bold in doing what they did with the Amiga with Defender of the Crown. Mm-hmm. And then Chris mentioned Wings, which is probably my favourite CinemaWare game. Um, there's a wonderful remake of that on the Game Boy Advance. And I, I think there was a more modern remake. Um, was it Wings? Possibly. Not, no, there was definitely a more modern remake of Defender of the Crown that came out on a DVD in sort of 2018 or something like that. Um, but Wings keeps coming back. I always found there was a certain kind of sadness to the atmosphere of Wings. It was really uh, yeah. leaning into the you know the horrors of war, and you had the little diary entry between each mission where it mm. told you what had happened that day. And yeah, it was um, yeah, it was quite a moving game, I guess. Um, and then uh, one I used to play a lot as well was TV Sports Basketball. I don't know if you guys played that. That became my basketball game of choice, replacing Magic Johnson's basketball, which I played before. Do you that. have a list of basketball game of choice, hockey game of choice, rugby game of choice? Um, I could, yeah. <laughs> well, enough, EA's, EA's ice hockey, um, rugby game. There was was there ever a good rugby game? I tried international rugby game. International rugby. International record masters. <laughs> oh, Rotten. <God. laughs> I'm not sure they ever mastered rugby. Pro simulator. Surely it has to say pro. No, I know they did the game, but they didn't. They certainly didn't master it, Dave. Um, and then Chris, I mean, you you said that uh, cinema games were always always really good. Um, I found that a lot of them kind of reviewed in the middle in eighty percent range. Mm. Um, I think quite a few of the reviewers were impressed by the graphics, but they didn't let it rose tint the game so much that they would just by default give out a high score. They were yeah. always you know still critical of these games because some of them, a lot of them came out in the late eighties, so you had sixteen bit graphics and you still had elements of what I would call eight bit gameplay. I guess sometimes mm. it hadn't completely evolved um into to new gaming mechanics but on the whole they did produce good stuff dave you've got a smirk on your face spill the beans i'm reading a review of international rugby simulator on the st and it says (laughs) however the game is instantly addictive and the more you play the better you will become my only criticisms of gameplay are that rucks and malls do not appear very realistic I mean, how to do that in a game? Yeah. And no allowances made for penalty kicks. A shame, but only a minor quibble. This is a superb simulation and one I wholeheartedly recommend. What score did they give it? 100. No. What? Yeah, they did. Atari ST user in April, 20, April 1989, according to Moby Games. It must have been the 100. only game that came out that month. Nothing to compare it to, so. International <laughs> Rugby Simulator. I'm going to see if that's We've on gone my way off, off on a tangent here because <laughs> this is a long way from the presentation style of CinemaWare. One hour. <laughs> One hour. <laughs> One hour. So if you want to try out It Returned to the Desert and enjoy that B-movie style, check out the show notes. Um, God, hang on. There was an, I'm going to go off on another tangent. There was another B-movie game, wasn't there, called Plan 9 from Outer Space, which came with a, a VHS of the movie do you remember that Um, but that's a story for another day check out the show notes (laughs) look up it returned to the desert returned yes it returned to the desert on steam let's move on (laughs) this week in retro is very kindly sponsored by pixel addict magazine now i was looking at uh this month's edition of pixel addict and chris there's something that i spotted that you'd like this is issue nine um and in there they have a retrospective of 
Wing Commander. So Wing Ooh. Commander movie retrospective. I'm not sure that's it's not the games. It's it's the movie retrospective. You were big into that series, weren't you? No. <laughs> no. I thought you were no, a massive Wing Commander no, fan. I wasn't. No, we talked about the fact that it was uh, an example of FMV shoved into a game when you know with Mark Hamill and stuff like that, but. At the time it came oh, out, the PC that I had fan. wasn't actually that powerful. So I, never, <laughs> I bought it recently on GOG, I think it was, or, or Steam or something. But anyway. <laughs> well, let's see if there's anything else that interests you. They cover the PlayStation, PlayStation Rules UK, uh, as the uh, PlayStation anniversary is coming up uh, nice. in, in the coming months. Yeah. Um, Sir Clive Sinclair's Z88 Portable. Uh, they've got a section called My Dad is a Nerd. So <laughs> that yeah. might be uh, taking a perspective from uh, the youth and making us all feel old. And um, the Fallout series they cover and, and lots of other things besides. Pixel Addict really does market itself as a, uh, a digital, it, well, it says on the on the front, Britain's best-selling digital culture magazine. So it's, it's very much a lifestyle and culture magazine geared around the hobby that we do. And um, just £4.50 if you can find it um, online at pixel.addict.media or you can take a look in your local high street retailer where you can, if you're lucky enough, you can find a physical copy to take home and um, feel all warm and fuzzy like you did in the old days. So go and check out Pixel Addict and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. What a disaster. Some of you may remember previous stories we've done on WATA. So that's W-A-T-A. Episode 50, John and Neil talked about them possibly colluding to raise prices. And then in episode 79, we talked about fake big box Ultima, including one that had been graded as real by Wata and turned out to be fake. And not just a good fake, a kind of a, a fairly poor fake. Well, thanks to a submission from Reese, we have another Wata story. And what a strange disaster this is. It's a tweet from Stephen Kirk, and there's actually not a lot of info on, the, on, on this, but there's a tweet from Stephen Kirk who says that his friend bought a sealed original copy of Pokemon Yellow, which is I'm, le I'm led to believe is a console game with a yellow rodent. <laughs> now, US Customs... <laughs> It's we paying. talked about we talked about the youth <laughs> making us feel old. I mean that that's an example of you making the youth feel young. <laughs> I look up and, and Pokemon came out in the late nineties. I think it was a game first and then a cartoon. Doesn't matter, cartoon first then a game. But it it, it, it was it was it's too young for me. Pokemon's well, 1996, too modern for me. 1996 it came out. So you go, you know, late 90s. What we, what we yeah, I was playing Goldeneye around about then, I would imagine. Yeah, I'm with Dave. Mm. Yeah, was never into the games myself. My boys were, though, yes. and they're... Not yeah. anything wrong. People seem to love them. Yeah. Um, so US Customs opened the package. They broke the acrylic case. Acrylic case? Try that with syllables. Um, they ripped the seal off, and then they sliced the front of the the box open. So they, they destroyed it. Um and a bit of Googling shows that it was valued at over $10,000. I don't know how much that one was paid for, but valued at over $10,000. So a bit of a dive into it, and I had an idea. And when these carts came out, flash storage was more expensive an option. So they often use volatile memory and a battery backup, usually just a, a coin cell, a 1616 or a 2025, really small one. 
Is it possible that customs object to a battery in the cartridge? I know there's rules about what can be sent that way. Um, but in any case, by opening it up that way, they've changed the value from 10,000 to 10 quid. I did have a look at shipping costs and prohibited items. So first of all, £700 to insure a £10,000 item. So a huge amount of money to insure it. I also looked at what could be sent on parcel to go, and they say the following items cannot be carried on any service, batteries and items containing built-in batteries. So I know that US Customs scan things, so they may have scanned it, seen the battery, and thought, why has this got a built-in battery and opened it up to find out? That's my guess on it. But Neil, um, if you were sending something this expensive to the USA, how would you do it? And um, would you have stayed for a few days on the way? <laughs> well, first of all, um, if you've just left an angry comment saying, Neil, you weren't playing Goldeneye in 1996, um, Yes, hands up. That came out in '97. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's a little you got bit out. Release. You, your I, uncle yeah, got for Nintendo. Yeah, yeah. But I certainly wasn't <laughs> playing Pokemon, um, and uh, I, I get the appeal of it, but it's just never been a game that I've been into, um, or a series of games. Now, you do joke, Dave, but delivering something worth ten thousand pounds, I probably as as the seller, I would probably factor in a flight to take myself uh, there and take this as hand luggage. I think at least that way. If, if airport security say that they, they need to open it, you can just say, well, no, no, thanks. I'm not getting on this flight then. And you just turn around <laughs> and walk away with it. At least you've you've got that choice. Um, I, I'm not sure you can, can you even insure against that kind of activity? You know, security. No, no, you, no, no. security really? have always got a right to open it if they suspect there's, you know, a battery that could trigger something awful. You can't mm. really insure against that, can you? Um I, I imagine. Um, I had a, I had an instant going through security when I went to Amiga Island, where my bag was. Um, it pinged up on the scanner, and they, you know, you know how they've got the conveyor belt and it splits into two. And if your bag goes off to one side, you're like, oh no, here we go. I hope my dirty pants on on the on the top of the bag because they're going to be going through this. <laughs> on the way to, how many um, pairs of dirty pants did you take to Amiga Island? Yeah, why would you do that? <laughs> well, I tell you what did happen was um, Lily's uh, cabin bag was just a little bit over the weight limit, so I had a load of like women's knickers shoved into my bag. So <laughs> women's knickers. That's a really good cover story you got there, Neil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sticking to it. So my bag went off on the other conveyor, and of course the uh, the inspector snapped on their latex gloves and and beckoned towards me to come over, opened up the bag and went through it. And actually what they thought I had in there was a, a big bottle of liquid, but it was a book. It was it was just a book that had been identified on the oh. scanner as as a bottle of liquid. What? Um, I think it was just the angle the book was to the scanner and the density of the pages made it look mm -hmm. like liquid-like, I guess, on the scanner. Um, because when I looked at the picture, everything was kind of light colors and then there was this big green colored thing which obviously they thought looked like liquid, but it was it was a book, so phew, got got away. Um, yeah, um, but I'm glad you raised this, Dave, because um, I do have a, a Pokemon cartridge out in the cave for people to play on, and somebody did say this weekend. Um, oh, by the way, you might want to change the battery because you know it's it's the saved games aren't working right. on there, or it's flashing up a warning or something. So I do need to open up mine and change it, and in the process, perhaps check what it's worth <laughs> you know if, if these are very expensive cartridges no is it just the fact that this particular one was sealed as new 
complete and, inbox and water yeah. graded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Chris, what about I'm going to come on to my skepticism about that in a minute, but yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. ask Chris <laughs> what he thinks about it. Chris, how many water graded ten thousand pounds things do you own? I would never. No, let's not even go there. <laughs> Pointless. Um, I don't believe this thing's ever worth ten thousand. But anyway, maybe, maybe, maybe it was the white powder inside, which is what made it worth that much. <laughs> which is why they felt the need <laughs> to open it up. I don't know. Um, but in all seriousness, the rules um, that you pointed out earlier, Dave, there was one that you didn't read out. The rules that you, mm-hmm. you can't post. You can't post animals or organisms. So you you can't send Pokemon through the mail. Uh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> well, no matter how much I think Wata is a mugs game, I really do think it's a mugs game. I'm not a fan at all. And people are foolish for getting involved. I shouldn't, it should set that kind of gatekeeping to one side because what matters here is that something that was worth 10,000 was sent and then it was destroyed. Mm. So was it marked as that valuable? Did someone decide to spend £700? Because the way it works with Wata is you pay them a percentage to grade it. So you have your complete inbox Pokemon Yellow. You give it to Wata, you pay them the fee, and I don't think the total of that is worth more than £700. So the £700 insurance to ship it might have been worth more than what it actually really was, not the $10,000. Um, was the insurance invalid because it had built-in battery? And just how do you send something that can't be opened? Surely customs have a right to say, we need to open up things. So if you send it and seal that they can't get into, and that's by design, that's what these water things are designed to do, is to, to permanently seal it in there. Mm. Then how does that work with customs opening it up? Um and there's something that just doesn't doesn't seem quite right about this because if you could then send it through customs and have a decent chance of customs opening it up, then I, I, I smell a scam here. You get you get something that costs you fifty quid. You get water to grade it for a few hundred quid. You send it through customs, insured customs open it up, and there's your ten thousand pounds. I'm not sure. But anyway, there's not that much information available on, uh, at this story. I've had a look through 30 different news articles on it. And out of 30 different news articles, not one has any new information that the guy uh, about it from the guy that tweeted it. It's all just stuff they've managed to do, like Googling on things. Um, and none of them had the information about the what what they accept in the batteries and so on. So I don't know how much truth there is in this. There might not be quite... I don't know. I don't know. I'm a little bit sceptical about it all. $10,000? No. There you go. Dave's story this week is fake news. Is that what you're telling us? <laughs> well, it was interesting. I thought it was interesting. No, it, yeah. is, it is an interesting um, discussion point. Fake, also, fake you news. Know, there must be ways of buying some electronics from the US, for example, and getting them shipped to the UK without them being ripped open if they have batteries in. There must be ways and means, but maybe you need to get on some kind of trusted list or something like that first. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I suspect it's just a case of them saying, this is a this is a games cartridge. Why has it got a battery in it? That makes it a bomb or some kind of mm. listing or some kind of monitoring device. It makes it something that's, that shouldn't be sent that way. Mm. Um so maybe maybe a little bit a bit of paper and explanation say this is a game cartridge which uses a battery for for backup 
put it into Google and customs might then stick it into Google rather than opening it up and see, oh, actually, it's supposed to be that way. I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, if you're listening and you're a customs official and you might be able to enlighten us, please do leave a comment over on the subreddit. I'm glad Warshi7819 shared this next story because I'd already watched the video uh, in question. Uh, it's basically Christian, also known as Perifractic, also known as Retro Recipes, and he's recently built a C64, a Commodore 64, from all new components. He actually made two builds. So one is using an Evo 64 replacement motherboard, and the other one is uh, using an Ultimate 64 FPGA baseboard, a bit like an Unamiga, but for the C64. Um, and... The final, the, the final build, because lots of the components have been available, but the final piece of the pub puzzle for, for him was the fact that there was a recent Indiegogo um, project to actually produce brand new keycaps for the Commodore 64. So obviously on his video, he, he lists all the, the, the materials that he uses, but he's got a new case from iComp, uh, which were made from the original molds, and he, and he shares a story behind that. He's got a mechanical keyboard base, uh, a new Evo 64 motherboard, like I said, um, and he, he actually lists several other options for the motherboards. Um, there's several out there. Uh, this particular one has a, a VIC-2 video circuit built onto the board, so you can actually tweak the signal, improve the signal, and also switch between PAL and NTSC. Um, he's got replacements for all the custom chips, including the PLA, VIC, and SID. Where the project gets a little bit unstuck is the CIA, because basically there's a project still waiting to be completed for replacement CIA chips. Uh, more about that later. Um, but he does at least talk about what that um, solution will be once it's available. And that's where the um, the build using the Ultimate 64 comes in because that build is 100% new components. I was going to ask about that. I was going to say, did they fall back on old CIA chips, but they've pulled new chips from the Ultimate 64? Is that what's happened here? Have they no. made their own CIA chips? No? No. So what he's done is he's pointed out all throughout the build, he points out where he's using original chips, but details the, the chips that you could use, the replacements that you could use. But so that on right. video he could present an all-new C64, he puts uh, okay. an Ultimate 64 in a brand-new case with brand-new keycaps. Voila, we have... Uh, a completely working brand new so it is Commodore so it is 100 new in yeah, the video that's yeah that's right cool. Yeah. cool the evo 64 going back to that that actually has two sids so you can have dual mono or even stereo output for programs that support it um and uh, a way of replacing the 6510 with a 6502 he details that as well the list goes on and on and you know me i don't like to get too bogged down in the technical details um and like I said, yeah, where he uses original chips, he explains how you would use modern replacements if he didn't have access to them. I thought it was a 6502, not a 6510. Is it? Is that the wrong way around? Or oh, maybe a, a, a way of replacing the 6510 with it. Have I put those two the wrong way around? Sorry, it's quite possible. <sighs> yeah, yeah, sorry. That's my bad. Well, the 6510 yeah. is used in the C64. Okay, so um, replacing it with a 6502. It's probably just that the 6502 is probably just more readily available. That's exactly um, right, yeah. So, yeah, so that's why it's nice to be able to use that. Yeah. So, so there's a, like a bridge board that basically makes the six, the Commodore sixty four, uh, think the six five zero two is a six five one zero. That's how I understood the solution to work. Um, so basically, the logic keeps working. It's all it's all detailed in his video. Um, but the, yeah, the fact is, it's now possible to build a ground up new machine, and Christian does a great job in this video showing you how and detailing all the things like you know which chips are pretending to be which other chips. So watch his video. Um, 
Uh, I think a brand new Spectrum was done a while ago in the form of the Harlequin kit, um, but you still need the ROMs, obviously. Uh, and there's a video by RetroShack on that, so I'll include that in the show notes. Neil, what do you make of uh, Christian's builds? Uh, have you have you looked at it? And what machine would you actually like to see a complete ground up build being possible? You know, like the Amiga or the C sixty uh, CPC four sixty four. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, well, it's a stunning looking bit of kit, isn't it? With that semi transparent case that finishes off really nicely. So, regardless of what's inside it, it looks beautiful from the outside. Um, I do like a semi transparent case. Um, I think it was Dan Wood who um, did a video some months back where he had a crystal case for an A500 that was semi-transparent. That was nice. There's there's plenty of like Dreamcast cases and Saturn cases that are semi-transparent out there. Something about a a semi-transparent case that's lovely. Um, I think it was the RetroShacks channel also about eight or nine months back, which asked the question, can you build a brand new C64 from and he had in brackets nearly 100% new parts. So mm. he was gunning for that. Um, uh, perhaps some of those chips weren't available yet or uh, hard to get hold of at the time. And and back in 2020, I know Jan Beta was building a brand new C64. But again, this used you know a brand new board, new sockets, new chips where they were available, but they did transplant existing chips in, which is similar to what I, I did when I built the new A500++. Um, that that That's beautiful right. purple board that Rob made. Again, you have to transplant the chips in. So it's it's only now that we're starting to see these FPGA or other based replacements coming on stream for the custom chips. Um, and that's great to see. Uh, it's great to see that you've got the ability to do that. So I think this is probably the first example I've seen where everything is brand new. Um, so yeah, that's good. And I think that the nicest thing about the whole build, this one or any other like it, is that once it's done, you can settle down with your new system. And once you're happy that it's settled and you, you know, you know you don't have any dodgy solder joints or any, you know, dodgy bits that you've you've done in the build and it's working, you're then kind of safe in the knowledge that this is going to go on for decades. Yeah. You know, you won't have that constant fear, that threat of failure looming over you because it's it's brand new. So you can really enjoy this as a brand new C64. Mm. Um, yeah, I really like it. If I had to pick one, that's a really hard one. You've put me on the spot there. Obviously, I've done the Amiga, and that would have been my my first choice. Um, the Acorn Archimedes are really well known for destroying themselves with Ooh. with their batteries and their, yeah. their you know not not just battery leak because plenty of systems have battery leaks over the years, but the, the positioning of the battery in some of the models is so close to things like the IDE controller, it just makes mm. it completely you know an absolute nightmare to try and fix a board if not impossible dave you're bouncing up and down there yeah just a wee warning if someone says selling an, an archimedes switch it on and it works test the keyboard <laughs> yeah yeah um so yeah i'd probably go with an acorn archimedes because that's a lovely little bit of british history and the origins of the, the arm chip and all of that, that that deserves to be saved if possible and i've got a couple of archimedes that i'm working on at the moment, I've just taken delivery of um, an Acorn branded monitor, which is, it's just a Philips CM8833, I think, rebranded. But it's lovely to have the matching branding on the monitor and the Archimedes if that all works nicely. So that'll be on the channel soon. But um, overall, um, lovely build and a lovely looking machine, I think. Dave, um, what you mentioned building a brand new Amiga. I think you've mentioned it on the show a few times. Um, so how are you getting on with that? And, and are you looking at 100% new parts or are you going to be recycling old custom chips? 
Hello, chip dippers. Um, <laughs> I am building a C64 first. I've got a C64, which needs to be built. I've got the I've got Rob's board for that. So I'm going to build a brand new one, but I'm going to use all old custom chips on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do have a replacement SID, and once it's working, I'll replace the SIDs with the replacement modern SID. I am totally on board with using all 100% new replacement for custom chips, but I wouldn't want to do a, a new build and then put the all the new replacements into that and then hope it worked because there's just so many things to troubleshoot. There's a possibility that one of the new chips doesn't quite work right if mm. if all the other things aren't quite aren't quite the way they should. So I like the idea of having these available so that when you have an old machine and it starts to fail, you can replace parts or even just when you've got a, a working C64, take the set out, put a replacement in and stick the set in eBay because they're worth a fortune. Um <laughs> Even as, as for the Amiga, I've got, I've got, I've got. Uh, I uh, I bought. I watched Neil's video on the A five hundred plus plus, and the same day I looked on Facebook or Gumtree and found someone selling an A five hundred that supposedly wasn't working. Went and bought it. Turned out it worked. Exchanged it with my friend Pillock for one that was dead. Harvested the customs off it, and I've got those waiting to do the the build. Um, I need to sort a few things about the house to give myself more more space to do this properly in, but I will do it. Um, but I like the idea of our machines and my machines turning into ships of Theseus, or if you prefer, <laughs> Trigger's broom. There's a British sitcom called Only Fools and Horses, and Trigger got on a, a, a road sweeper. He got an award for using the same broom for 20 years. Um, and as he said, this old broom has been well looked after. This old broom has had 17 new heads and 14 new handles. Um, now, <laughs> the retro world does love a Commodore. Um, a Commodore love their custom chips. But there are a lot of projects all coming to a close. And of course, the, the chip shortage has, has hampered this. But the chip shortage seems to be easing off a bit. And it won't be long, I think, before there's a drop-in replacement for every chip that we have. I asked my my friend Chrissy about this, and he gave me links. And there is a project, as far as I can tell, there's a project for every custom chip on the Amiga part the way across or finished. So it really won't be long before you can do the whole thing from scratch. Nice. Might be a nice opportunity for me to go back and revisit that A five hundred plus plus I built, and as you said, pull out those original chips and start to put in these new ones as they become uh, available new, and then it will be become a hundred percent new. So, uh, mm. you know, I'm, I'm kind of halfway to, to completing that project, I guess, which is kind of nice. Yeah, yeah, cool. very cool. Well, I actually touched base with Christian, and he very kindly gave us a little bit of an exclusive update. Dare I say, I could call this my first scoop. So I'm quite excited. Um, So basically, Christian says uh, he's had three separate people come back to him uh, since the video aired, letting him know that they were also developing replacement CIA chips. One of those people is Jim Drew, who created the new keycaps. He's also creating a new alternative to the mech board, which sounds amazing. Um, It has LEDs built in and no need for 3D printed adapters under every single keycap. Um, And Christian went on to say that he should be receiving samples. Um, and he will, of course, feature those on his channel. So basically, you know, some of our favorite machines seem to be bulletproof, but they're only one power surge or a blown cap away from being in a world of pain, as we've touched on. 
um, being able to build a brand new machine or even just replace failing parts in an original is a godsend. So for me, the sooner we have FPGA replacements for all the Amiga chips, the better. Time now for your answers to last week's community question of the week, which was... <laughs> the wording on this, Chris, with the VCS put to bed. Stop it! <laughs> <laughs> with the seemingly VCS put, put to, to bed. bed. <laughs> <laughs> what should Atari the end be of the celebrating? Cancelled. <laughs> with Chris confirming that the VCS has been cancelled, what should Atari be celebrating? <laughs> they're sending out a signal that to if you, as soon as you have these online, they're sending out a signal, just a kill switch, and they'll not work after this. Sorry <laughs> to Chris. According to Chris, with three new oh, retro dear. consoles on the horizon, we wonder what Atari should tap into next. Now, Duncan's left a comment before we get into your answers. He said, I'd like to see the ST get some attention, but I'd also like to see some new games with the Atari logo on the loading screen. We do from time to time see Atari games pop up. Uh, more often than not, they're the remakes of Millipede and, you know, Tempest and things like that. Um, so some new original Atari games would be quite nice. Um, but let's go into your answers. Let's have a look at what we've got on the subreddit. Top answer comes from Warshi7819. And um, in terms of what Atari should bring back, they think the Atari 800XL. Back in the day, I only focused on my C64 and C128, but visited a friend last year. I got to really check the system out, and I was impressed. We had a lot of fun playing Boulder Dash, Frogger, and other classics. Much more attractive for me than the 2600, and it seemed very close to the C64, but was released a full three years prior. So, um, yeah, the XL came out later, but it was based on the you know the 400 the 800 series machines yeah. and it is incredible what a machine it was considering it came out in the late 70s everyone talks about the apple um the apple 2 the pet and the uh what was the other one the, the radio the trs80 as as being the you know the holy trinity or the original trinity in in the late 70s but this didn't come far behind it and I've, it, it probably blew them all out the water in terms of its capabilities it was yeah. a fantastic mm. machine um, and then it was refined in the ca smaller casing of the 800XL. The original 800 was built like a tank. It had so much metal shielding. Uh, just to think how heavy that thing is. Um, but yeah, the 800XL. So it was uh, an eye-opener for me when I finally got my hands on one in the modern day and learned just what these systems were capable of because I didn't see them about back in the day, back in the 8-bit days here. I know they were about, but I didn't know anyone who had them. Um, who wants to take the next answer from Richard? Yeah, I'll, I'll go. Oh, go on, <laughs> go on then, Dave. <laughs> Time lag. Um, Richard Shears uh, says, answer Amiga Island. Um, it's the new show where Atari ST fans and Amiga fans are dropped onto a desert island and tasked to get along and not be bitter without a blitter. No. Oh, sorry. Yes, Atari should be celebrating the Jaguar, of course. Of course. Mm. With some many great games to choose from it must mean so many games it must be auto collection they could call it the four in one <laughs> richard the four in one it's the console that i had and loved despite its limited library i still love the design despite its new duality as a dentist device <laughs> i although i do wish atari would celebrate the st more some great games were born in the st one of my favorites being dungeon master although I had to wait for the Amiga version. Please let us see an ST Mini and a Jag Mini. He's right about the, the mm. ST. So many games that are 
given the credit of being Amiga games that actually came out in the ST because it was the kind of lead platform for a few years. Um, but yeah, um, Amiga Island, where we can send Amiga fans <laughs> and Atari fans to live together in perfect harmony. It's the reality. Were there any Atari fans one? at Amiga Island? Um, I'm sure there were. Do you know what I saw a lot of at Amiga Island was uh, Mister Systems. There were plenty of Amigas, but quite a few people took their Misters along, which nice. is interesting to see. Because um, you know, a lot of people want to try that out and just get hands on and see if it lives up to the hype. So that was yeah, quite nice. It does. And it's... you know that that uh, as we see more and more FPGA based custom ship replacements come along, um, you know, it's all all part and parcel of the same thing, I guess. Um, so that that was good. Um, if, if, if security were going got, through your... Oh, sorry, go on. I was just saying, Rich has also got the catchphrases down for this reality show. Uh, get along and not <laughs> be bitter true. without a blitter. It's good. <laughs> Is he <laughs> marketing? To be. <laughs> 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 we need you to flesh this idea out, Richard. We want to know who's presenting it. Who are the contestants? <laughs> Where is this item? What, what are the challenges? What are the tasks? Um, yeah, flesh that out for us. Uh, Dave, do you want to cool. take on the, the third and final answer? <laughs> No, it's the opposite no, of last no. week. No, <laughs> I'll do it. I'll go to Chris. It. How about I? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. For Jayco6502, a new Atari handheld. And he goes, no way, I got this. He goes, it looks like an Atari Lynx, but just has the Atari 50 games and content all built in. Um, it might need to be beefy to run the Jang emulation, so it wouldn't be cheap, but heck, it could be cool. And yes, put an SD card in and let folks add games too. That's actually a fantastic idea because then you could replay yeah. Lynx games on a Lynx. That that is actually a really sensible idea. I wonder if one of the one of the machines from last week was a handheld. I wonder if that's what they could do with that. Yeah, no, they were just planning to do twenty six hundred games by all the information that's out so far. Because uh, okay. you know me and the form factor information. <laughs> Yeah, the form factor of the Atari Lynx is so large that you could very easily get a, a, one of the smaller pies in there and um, mm. turn it into a nice system do you with know a what nice you could size do? screen. You could get an MMS inside that form factor, and I've held that <laughs> in my hands. Mm. When I was down in the cave, Richard was there, Richard from 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 Heber, and he had a Mr. Handheld, and it's, it's an Atari Lynx uh, really? size thing, and it can do everything. So, mm. yeah, so it yeah. can be done. That was his prototype for a handheld mister. Yes, yeah. I haven't seen him do anything on that for a while, so I'll have to give him a prod and see if there's any news. But thank you, as always, for submitting your answers to the question of the week. Uh, and it's time now for this week's question of the week. If you'd like to participate or submit news stories for us to discuss, head over to reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro, where you can participate. Or if you'd like to chat to other listeners, head over to um, Discord dot gg forward slash rmc retro where there is a dedicated this week in retro room and uh, it gets we get quite a bit of activity when a new, new show goes out and people like to discuss the stories in real time there so that's a nice place to chat as well so this week's question of the week will be read out by chris so this week's question of the week is off the back of the cinemaware story and in keeping with their style what modern movie would you like to see made into an 8 or 16 bit cinemaware style game head to the Ooh. subreddit and let us know The Banshees of Inishinnan That's a great <laughs> film It's a tremendous <laughs> film I haven't seen it's that It's a great no. film It's a fing it, it, it's, finger chopping mini game <laughs> Event Horizon. <laughs> Don't give it away. Don't spoil it. It's 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 a film about I think the early nineteenth century. I don't, I don't know in in a 
it's yeah, it must it must be the early the early twentieth century in Ireland in a in a remote Irish island, and it, it's nothing you, you won't see any other films like it. Really worth watching, right? Nice. Yeah, well worth a watch. Yeah. Anyway, I took, took you off on a tangent. I think we, we'll save. <laughs> I, I think we'll have some good suggestions for next week, so we'll get thinking on that. If you'd like to submit your um, your answer for a a movie, we say a modern movie. I guess any movie since the the, the decline of the sixteen bit era, really, um, <laughs> that, that wouldn't have had a chance to be made into a video game. What would you like to see made into a video game in in the cinemaware style? Um, for an 8 or a 16-bit machine. Head over to reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro where you'll see the question of the week pinned to the top. And as Dave said earlier, if you get a chance, do leave us a review. Um, wh- what do we have to do with the bell, Dave, again? Destroy it. Absolutely Destroy smash it to pieces. <laughs> yeah. Take a hammer. Take a hammer YouTube. to the bell. And, smash uh, that bell. Subscribe if you haven't already done so. Thank you to every each and every one of you for taking the time to listen and watch the show. And we look forward to seeing Poggers. you again next week. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bang. Bye. I'm eating out of here. <laughs> <laughs>